the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. An evening with David Jeremiah that's scheduled for Friday, February the 10th at the Power Balance Pavilion in Sacramento. Now, if you'd like to get more information and uh, uh, get your seat there, you can certainly get details on his website at davidjeremiah.org forward slash rallies. That's davidjeremiah.org forward slash rallies. We're talking, too, about his latest book, I Thought I'd Never See the Day, and and I think the the book title, Dr. Jeremiah, ideally explains, I think, the reaction of a lot of us as we've watched this slow progression or or degression, I should more aptly say, of our our culture and our society. You know, the amazing thing, we shared that story earlier about the the federal judge stating that uh, they are going to temporarily stop the state of Oklahoma from instituting a law that would prohibit judges from utilizing Sharia law in the decision-making of cases that come before them. And then I think, too, as you articulate inside of the book, we look at what's going on, for example, in countries like Iran that, uh, because of the influence of Islam, are in many respects stuck in the 7th century. And yet here are some of these ancient nations, an ancient part of the world that uh, is, is, is quite gleefully intimidating uh, and scaring the pants off of much of the modern world. What's going on with that? Well, I know I just watched the news today, and, and one of the big news today was Ahmadinejad is in Venezuela building a coalition with those countries that are, you know, not very far from us, and, and everybody just thinks, what are we going to do? Well, you know, the the problem is, and, and you know, this is uh, um, more than uh, we can discuss in a few minutes that we have. We sit around the table, and we think that, that we can negotiate with uh, them, and the, the problem is we don't have anything they want except our lives. They want us gone, and uh, the, they they have an eschatological reason for all of this because they believe that by stirring up the foment of their uh, craziness, they're going to bring back the their Messiah. The, the, the eschatological background of this is Islam believes that their twelfth uh, Imam cannot come back, which is like our Messiah, until there's total chaos in the world, and that's what they're trying to create. They they really believe that there's a spiritual reason to kill and and all of the other things that they do. So are we making a grave mistake then when Washington, D.C., for example, tries to, to work out a peace process or or negotiate through diplomacy uh, some means of, of, of brokering a peace or coming to terms? I mean, is it a fool's folly then in the approach that's been taken? Well, you know, my position on this certainly would be that you cannot you cannot work with Iran and other Islamic nations um, on the basis of negotiation because they don't want to negotiate. They don't have anything that they want to give up, and, and we don't have anything they want. They want, you know, they've been very forthright about the fact that their goal is to wipe Israel off the map and and, and the United States too. So what we need to do is we need to operate out of strength. There's an old adage that says linebackers and uh, Prize fighters don't get mugged, and you know we 
we, uh, we need to be really careful right now in our nation as we're trying to deal with these budget issues that we don't so uh, weaken our military that we no longer have any position over these years. The one thing that's kept us from even more uh, controversy than we've had with other nations is that we've had a strong military and people have uh, feared and respected us. Under our current administration, that doesn't seem to very be a very important priority. And, of course, it's going to be an issue in the election that's coming up here in a few you know, And, Dr. Jeremiah, it seems as if we're repeating a lot of the old mistakes and we're forgetting a lot of the lessons that had been learned. I mean, as you were sharing that position of, of, of uh, protection through strength, I, I thought back to what we used to say uh, to the bully on the playground. You know, my dad can beat up your dad. And there was always that sense that we were safe because we were working from a position of strength. And yet, if we if we acquiesce, as so often we're seeing happening right now, or don't do a very good job at picking our friends and understanding who our enemies are, and what's the old adage, you know, choose your friends wisely and your enemies even more wisely, uh, to see this idea that we've been pulling back from support of Israel as we have uh, in recent years and, and, and virtually leaving her, uh, you know, feeling unprotected. I know that there's levels at which she's capable of certainly defending herself, and yet, it seems as if our understanding that she is our only true friend in that region, and by the way, the only democracy in that region, right. uh, that just seems to be kind of falling by the wayside. You add to that the whole spiritual dimension of it, that, you know, uh, God has promised to bless those who bless Israel. And so, you know, for our, our, our not being supportive of Israel is probably more dangerous to us than it is to them. I don't want to steal thunder from the book, but as people pick up a copy or order a copy of I Never Thought I'd See the Day, in the end, where do we leave this on? We, when we, I think certainly those that have an ear to hear and an eye to see recognize where things are in our nation and in our world today. But certainly it's not enough to just leave it there. The big question then becomes where, where is the hope of the future lie? Well, obviously, the hope of the future never was supposed to be in the circumstances of life. The Bible is very, very clear that our hope is in the Lord. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about hope uh, as an anchor, but not an anchor that goes down deep into the water, but an anchor that's that's launched into heaven, and I believe an anchor that's at the throne of God. That anchor is our salvation, and because of that, we know that uh, our future is secure. I I, I finish this book up with, with a reminder to all believers that the one thing, we may not feel like we can control the the direction the world is going but one thing we can do is we can make sure that we don't get caught up in it and that we are not conformed to the world but we end up being transformed by the renewing of our mind do we also need to change our our thinking and i'll ask this as a final question on this topic dr jeremiah do we also need to change our thinking in the sense that for a long time the church was kind of stuck in this position where we were waiting on god waiting on god waiting on god And and i've often wondered to myself you know are we waiting on god or is god waiting on us well, I'm sure that, you know, there's a time to wait and there's a time to act. And, you know, we we certainly have some issues that we can address. But we also know that our times are in his hands. You know, we um, people sometimes they wring their hands over the political issues that are happening and the things that are going on today. And what are we going to do? And you know, if we don't get the right person elected and all of that, we just need to back away from that a little bit sometimes and say, you know what? Uh, if you look up into heaven, the throne and glory is still occupied. He's there. He's under. This is under his. 
control and his authority. And that doesn't mean we should sit on our hands. It means we should do all that we can. And, and yet at the same time, we realize that Almighty God is not surprised by what's happening in the world. The, the events that are taking place right now are in the process of preparing us for his return. And uh, it's time that, then for us to look up because our redemption is drawing. Yeah, to, to understand from whence cometh our help. Now, yeah. we mentioned about the fact that you are going to be here in Northern California an evening with David Jeremiah, Friday, February the 10th, at the Power Balance Pavilion in Sacramento. And again, folks can go online to davidjeremiah.org forward slash rallies and get more information. But tell us about that evening. Well, we've been doing these events all over the country. Believe it or not, this is our first California event. And uh, we're very excited about coming to Sacramento. I have wonderful memories of the um, what was one time the Arco Arena. Uh, my my youngest daughter uh, was, a, was a great basketball player in high school, and she played for the state championship there four years in a row. So that's what, my, that's what I remember about that arena. We're so excited about coming there. We're going to have great worship, a great band. Charles Billingsley will be leading worship. I, I don't know if, if you have ever had the experience. Most everybody has. But just being in a group of thousands of believers who are, who are praising God at the top of their voice, there's something so dynamic and encouraging about that. And then I'll have a word from God. We'll have a great time together. I just want to encourage everybody. I was with a friend uh, Sunday, who's, uh, his son is a pastor up there, and he uh, he's coming and bringing his whole Sunday school class. And talked to somebody else last week, and they got a couple of buses coming from their church. And so I just want to encourage people, if they haven't already done so, to get their tickets because they're free. But you have to have tickets to come, and the tickets are from uh, davidjeremiah.org slash rallies, or you can call our number. I think you can call KFAX. They can give you the information. And, and so we're just hoping that this will be a great night of encouragement for all of the believers. In- Absolutely. And let me encourage listeners here in the Bay Area, in addition to uh, uh, getting your tickets and uh, taking a truckload of folks up there to enjoy the evening with David Jeremiah, there's also a need for volunteers right now that night. And uh, we're looking for folks that can help greet and usher and work the resource tables. Uh, Volunteers will need to be there by 4 o'clock that afternoon, and uh, you'll be provided a light meal before the doors open at 5.30 for the event that night. The good news is everyone who volunteers will receive a complimentary copy of Dr. Jeremiah's new book, I Never Thought I'd See the Day. And you'll also get reserved seating. So whether you're getting information to order your tickets that, again, are free or would like to volunteer, sign up to get more information online at davidjeremiah.org forward slash rallies. That's davidjeremiah.org forward slash rallies. Or you can always give us a call here at KFAX at 510-713-1100. That's 510-713-1100. And as always, don't forget to tune in weekday mornings at 10 a.m. to Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah right here on KFAX. Dr. Jeremiah, you're such a blessing. It's a treat to have you on the program today, and we're looking forward to your visit here to Northern California. Thank you so much. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. When Franklin D. Roosevelt died in April of 1945, few Americans knew how disabled the 32nd president was and the pains he took to conceal his physical disability, polio. During his political career, Roosevelt denied his disability in order to not compromise public perception of him as a vulnerable candidate, and he continued to hide his condition throughout his presidency. Sitting mostly at his desk or at a lectern, Roosevelt was never seen by the public in a wheelchair that he used daily for some two decades. Of the more than 35,000 photos taken of him during his 12-year-long presidency, 
Only two show the president in his wheelchair, both taken by family members and never made public until well after his passing. FDR's biographer Hugh Gallagher called it FDR's splendid deception, referring to the illusion used by FDR to hide his disability. Today, we're living in a very different age. During FDR's era, it wasn't the trend to unmask what was considered to be vulnerabilities. Today, the phenomena of the disability is viewed differently as it's used as a means of encouragement for people with disabilities and the non-disabled. Stories of perseverance and confidence flourish, and it's considered healthy to divulge and discuss one's disabilities. In this respect, people with disabilities and others can learn and improve from the disability experience, and hopefully in the end, we all can grow. Joining me now with more, we're pleased to have in studio a person who certainly is very familiar to the KFAX audience. In fact, you hear her in a brand new broadcast weekday mornings at 1120 here on KFAX. She's Johnny Erickson Tadon. Johnny, great to see you and great to have you back in studio with oh, us. Oh, Craig, it's been way too long since I've been up here at KFAX and uh, thanks for having me back. And you know, it's interesting, you were talking about um, FDR a moment ago and uh, his disability. You know, if you visit his uh, monument in Washington, D.C., the, the, the wheelchair is only slightly alluded to. Uh, the statue, the sculpture was fashioned in such a way that uh, so as to, quote, respect uh, FDR's perception of his own handicapping condition but as you just said it's a different world we live in now it's amazing how much times and perceptions have have really changed haven't they they really have and it's interesting that those perceptions actually were given birth here in the bay area uh back in the 1960s the independent living movement um what is called the independent living movement was uh, kick-started over at uc berkeley when people with disabilities began to see that uh, hey we're not patients we're not people who need to be fixed or or, quote, taken care of. Uh, we're individuals who have talents, gifts, abilities, job skills. So the independent living movement right here in Berkeley is where that whole change and shift of perceptions began. It's fascinating how we tend to focus on the different. And, and, and this, I think, flows in so many aspects of life, all a big part of, I think, a man's fallen sin nature, his, his fallen condition, that if there's something that's different about somebody else, somehow we point that out and oftentimes, unfortunately, translate that as a negative. But in fact, if you look, for example, at the life of FDR, how that in spite of what seemed to be almost insurmountable odds in overcoming, uh, overcoming the challenges presented by polio, man went on to, to lead us through two arguably of the most difficult crises in American history, uh, brought us through successfully uh, the largest war in recorded history. And so maybe part of the lesson that we can learn here is to understand that as we're so often inclined to point out the negative in others or what we perceive to be as being different from us can actually ultimately be very positive lessons that we can all grow and learn from. Oh, absolutely, Craig. In fact, back in uh, President Roosevelt's day, if you had a disability, you were viewed as, quote, abnormal in a normal world. But today, we look at disability, I choose to look at it, through a, a, a biblical lens. In other words, I am quite normal in an abnormal world. Uh, this world is fallen. This world is broken. Uh, we all have weaknesses. We all have um, limitations. So I'm very normal in a very abnormal world that one day uh, is going to be fixed when Jesus comes back and sets things right. But uh, I, And I think that's the, the, the common denominator between us all. That you know, That's why... Paul could say, what, in 1 Corinthians, um, if you've received comfort from God, that equips you to comfort 
uh, anyone in, quote, any trouble, any trouble. You don't have to be a quadriplegic to identify with my struggles. You've been through your own. And so there's a shared common denominator there. Amazing, too, how in the end the Lord becomes sort of the uh, the great compensator for all of this. I mean, for example, in our fallen sin nature, uh, we are deserving of death, permanent separation from God because we've offended a holy and righteous God. Um, And yet God brought in the great compensator, Jesus Christ, his son who died on the cross to essentially compensate uh, for the punishment that we should have received, that through that sacrificial work that he did on the cross on behalf of all of us, we might be reconciled to him. I think of your own life and the ways in which uh, that uh, diving accident that you had X number of years ago. 45 years ago. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention any dates. Oh, my goodness. That <laughs> seems so older. long ago. <laughs> but the way the Lord has compensated so that what, in a sense, was taken from you, in so many ways, he's added to you. And I guess that's that's true no matter what our station in life would be. That the great the great compensator Jesus can can do all of that for Absolutely. us. Absolutely. And and that's what the great redeemer does. In fact, that's what redemption is all about about when uh, uh, God sent his son Jesus to be the redeemer for the world. That meant also not only were our souls to be redeemed, but uh, our suffering can be redeemed. Um, my wheelchair and of course back in President Roosevelt's day, uh, my wheelchair would have been viewed then as a symbol of confinement, a prison that I was entrapped in. In fact, um, you often hear people talk about individuals confined to wheelchairs. But with Jesus Christ, he redeems that. He changes that meaning. I'm not confined to this wheelchair. Oh, my goodness. It's it's the, quote, prison that has set me free. Um, It is the next best thing to having legs. It is, for me, a symbol of mobility and, uh, and, and, and freedom. And uh, Jesus did that with his own cross, didn't he? It, it, it at one time was a symbol of torture, a symbol of cruel punishment, uh, a symbol of execution. But now we wear crosses around our necks and they are symbols of hope and victory and, and peace and freedom. And so God does that when it concerns suffering or sin. He redeems things. He changes their meaning. He, he exchanges the bad for something so much more better than we would have ever dreamed imagined. And this is really true cross-sectionally for all of us, isn't it? I mean, whether we're talking about someone who's, who's had a loss of traditional, quote-unquote, mobility through a swimming accident, to the woman listening right, listening right now who maybe recently lost her husband, and now is, is feeling that tremendous loss, and yet God can come in as the great compensator, the great redeemer, and make up for all that, in a sense. He really does. And I, I know that um, when I talk to people, uh, it doesn't take long to, to find those um, common points of identification. I think I've told you before, Craig, I, I've shared with this listening audience, that for me, getting up in the morning as a quadriplegic, when my girlfriend comes into the bedroom, and gives me a bed bath, does my toileting routines, senses up my corset, pulls up my pants, gets me dressed, sits me in my wheelchair, pushes me to the bathroom, brushes my hair, my teeth. I, the, 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 over, the, the, the routine itself is so overwhelming. There are many mornings I, I lie in bed dreading it, dreading waking up, dreading getting up because it's just such effort. And uh, not to mention just the, the pain and stiffness that goes with being in your 60s and... 
And so often uh, when I'm getting up, I'm thinking, oh, Lord Jesus, I I do not have strength for this. I can't do quadriplegia, but I can do all things through you as you strengthen me. I I don't have a smile for this day, but you do. Let me borrow your smile. I don't know how I'm going to make it, have to find the strength to make it to lunchtime, but, but you have ability. You have strength. And Craig... That way of waking up in the morning is a very biblical Christian way to wake up. And I think people identify with that. There's not a listener who's, who's tuned into us right now who hasn't uh, woken up in the morning thinking, I'll never have the strength to make it to, through the day. And, and so whether you're a quadriplegic in a wheelchair or whether you're crippled by anxiety or paralyzed by your, your, you know, your, your life circumstances, there is that wonderful um, thing that connects us, our desperate need of God. We all should be waking up in the morning needing God desperately. Are there two important lessons here, too? I'm, I'm thinking of the notion of the challenges that you face, that for most of it is, is routine. We go through, we don't think twice about it. And yet, where we have limitations to surrender what we cannot do to the Lord who can do all, and then coinciding along with that, the notion that what we can do to make it count? Oh, yes. Um, No one should suffer for nothing. Suffering should have meaning. And if it's going to count, it begins with their attitude. It begins with their perspective. It begins with trusting that God has permitted this, ordained it, allowed it, um, planned it, um, whatever word you want to use there. Um, God has it, it, it has encroached your into your life with this inconvenience, with this set of circumstances, with this grief or this loss or this death or divorce or this disability. Um, he, he's, he's, he's put this in your life so that you in turn might be as First Corinthians, I think it is chapter 1 verse 9 says, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And when we quit relying on our own strength and go to God out of desperate need, help me Jesus, I just can't do this without you. Oh my goodness, we begin to experience his peace, his joy, his perseverance, long-suffering, his kindness, his gentleness, his compassion toward others who hurt. We become different people, and that's finding the good in the midst of affliction. Um, that's, that's understanding the depth of redemption that can come when you, when, you, when, you, when you become changed by it, when you become transformed and become more like Jesus. Suffering will do that to you with the right attitude and the right perspective. Johnny Erickson Tata today with us in studio. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Craig Roberts, along with our very special guest in studio with us today, a voice that you certainly recognize. She is Johnny Erickson Tata. The broadcast, by the way, Johnny and Friends, a new broadcast time here on KFAX, heard weekday mornings about 1125, immediately following Daybreak with Pastor Don Sheely. So check that out, weekday mornings, Monday through Friday, right here on KFAX. You can get more information, too, on the web about Johnny and her ministry at johnnyandfriends.org. That's johnnyandfriends.org. Johnny, we were talking just before the break about this sense of of surrendering those things which we can't do, which we're incapable of doing, and allowing God's strength then to to compensate for all of that. And then that second component, that where we can do, make it count. I, I think we all know people that go through a day that have no limitations whatsoever, and they spend the 24 hours that God has given them every day accomplishing absolutely nothing. Mm. It just becomes wasted time. It's part of the message here, too, particularly for believers, to understand that in the limited time that we have on earth, 
even with the limitations that we might be handed through, whatever that is, uh, to make the time that we have really count? Oh, for sure, Craig. And uh, and I know there might be friends listening who their disability is invisible. It might be depression. It might be um, just that heavy, that heavy fog, that cloud of despair. And when you talk about making even days like that count, how do we live? How do we get through it? How do we take the next step? Well, I've got three words of advice. Number one, if you're, if you're discouraged, if you feel overwhelmed by your life circumstances, if, if let's say you have an invisible disability of struggling with depression or a physical affliction like mine, quadriplegia, or if you deal with pain, number one, just do the next thing. Do the next thing that's got to be done. Just, just get up into life and out into the day. And number two, um, hang tough with Jesus. Spend time with Christ, 20 minutes a day at least, reading his word, talking with him, um, becoming replenished by his spirit. And number three, look for somebody else in a situation whose life circumstances are more desperate than yours. Find that person who's more needy than you are, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and invest your life in them. Uh, you, you can never go wrong with just facing a day with that those three, those, those three guidelines. Number one, do the next thing. Number two, spend time with Jesus. Number three, find somebody who's hurting more than you are, who's struggling more than you are, and invest your life in them. And you'll be do you you will be honoring God. You will be you will be accruing for yourself um, rewards for eternity. You will be stretching your soul's capacity for 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 living. You, you you'll be changed. You'll be transformed. Because it's uh, you'll you'll be taking uh, the Bible's advice to to um, to not be served, not sit around on earth to be served, but to, as Jesus said, go out and serve. Yeah, we began our conversation talking about FDR and, and that amazing man with an amazing presidency who overcame some pretty big challenges. Um, that notion of of not letting what you perceive to be a limitation to stop you from making life count. His life is an example of that. Certainly your life is an example of that. I think of this story out of the Pacific Northwest of parents who literally came across with a multi-million dollar, not wrongful death suit, but a wrongful birth suit against a clinic for right. not properly diagnosing a child that they uh, were hoping, quote unquote, would be born uh, without any challenges Typical, right. and turned out to be a Downs baby. And as a result, they sued the clinic for not telling them. And I, and I think in a story like that, if they only understood what that child could do mm. in life. Especially a child with Down syndrome. And I think all of us perhaps know uh, young people with Down syndrome. They are fundamentally the most happy uh, people you'll ever want to meet. Uh, they don't see that anything about them needs to be changed. Their lives are full and rich. But yet these parents, uh, because the lab failed to properly diagnose their unborn child as having Down syndrome, when that child was born, uh, they sued the lab for um, millions of dollars. And this just goes to show that we in our country are, are, have, bought, have truly bought into that premise that you are better off dead than disabled, that uh, an, a newborn infant is a, quote, non-person who does not have moral rights because that child has yet to develop hope, goals, dreams, uh, aspirations. So although clearly human, uh, that, that uh, newborn infant with Down syndrome is, is not a person, not a person 
uh, whom the law can protect. That is sad. And it's happening uh, in hospitals all over the country. Um, Many more incidents of infanticide, the starving to death of infants purely based on their uh, disability. And with the new health care law, when it kicks in um, and federal oversight committees began allocating uh, how many health care dollars can be dispensed to which medical institutions, doctors uh, will, will, will say no to mothers and fathers who want a heroic treatment for their newborn infant with a disability. Our, our ethics, our morals are not keeping up with the technology, are they? Absolutely, Craig. And when cost and convenience are, are, are pressed together uh, in, a, in a medical situation, then it's usually uh, children, infants, the elderly, people who are medically fragile. These are the ones whose lives are most in jeopardy. Is the gap here, Johnny, uh, an issue of a need for greater degrees of understanding and education? Again, going back to our example of Roosevelt, after he had been diagnosed with polio, the age of 39, well into his political career, um, he could have been told then, well, forget it. It's, it's over with. So the possibility of someday becoming the governor of New York, off the table. Mm. The possibility of moving on to become the 32nd president of the United States, serving an unprecedented 12 years, four terms, that's off the table as well. How different America might be uh, of the legacy that he left, of getting us through the Second World War, creating things like uh, Social Security, um, forging in many respects the opening of the door to finally end racism in this country. Mm. Uh, All of those things that he did that could have been lost Mm. if attitudes that he had had been different to simply conclude, as you said before, well, you're better off dead than disabled. Exactly. We need to look past the disability and understand that each of us bears the imprint of a great creator God. And for that reason alone, our life is separated and sanctified. It's sacred. It's it's worth protecting. Um, uh, this argument about people being pre-persons when they are infants and have no ability to choose or they have no hopes or dream, dreams or goals, pre-persons or post-persons. That is, if you are an elderly individual who uh, might not have cognitive skills, perhaps dementia, Alzheimer's, or a non-person, such as an individual who is in a coma uh, and, and living in a coma for an extended state, this philosophy is beginning to have real impact in the way doctors make medical decisions and in the way parents make choices about their own children, such as this uh, organ couple who uh, sued over the wrongful birth of a Down syndrome infant. It is bearing a very... Bitter, poisonous fruit. Absolutely, it is. It's poisonous, and it's it's impacting the lives of people with disabilities, not just in this country, but around the world. Does the church need to step up to the plate to the greater degree in terms of allowing our voices to be heard in this arena of maybe under the greater heading of, of bioethics? Uh, I mean, the notion of pre-person, post-person, non-person. I find nowhere in scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And I'm thinking the fact that we as the church, having a personal relationship with the very creator of us all, that we of all have the greatest degree of responsibility to speak out against all of this when we see this kind of an injustice or when we see the the, the sort of redefining of what life really is. Exactly. And the church, this is the arena where the church belongs. Um, Christians sitting on ethics committees in hospitals, uh, Christians serving as ombudsmen in nursing facilities where plugs are too uh, callously and and carelessly pulled, Uh, Christians getting equipped and trained uh, to understand that this discussion that we're having isn't 
even in the theoretical realm of bioethical discussions and medical institutions, no. Um, the real decisions are being made right now in nursing facilities and neonatal units in, uh, in nursing homes where Christians can step in and say, no, we will not let this happen. I will advocate for this individual. There are resources. The church does care. We will not abandon this individual, this infant, this elderly person, this person with a disability. And these discussions that are taking place are not taking place in a vacuum, are they? I mean, they're, they're having a real impact on real people in real lives that are literally put in the balance. And I think Christians really want to step into that battle. Most of us just don't know how. We're not equipped. We're ill-trained. We don't understand the language. Uh, We don't have the resources. And that's why I'm so excited to be here in the Bay Area, Craig, with our Johnny and Friends uh, Bay Area office, because we stand ready to help train churches, to equip them, to help Christians understand what a biblical worldview on disability is. Not a postmodern view, not a modernist view, but a true biblical worldview on disability and, and the difference that makes in the lives of families. And where ultimately, as we understand from Scripture, where we are weak, He is strong, where our ability ends, Hallelujah. His begins. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's really the the uh, the whole foundational uh, thought. It's, it's, it's the philosophical undergirding for a, a healthy perspective on disability, understanding that when we are weak, He is strong. And so we boast in our affliction. We delight in our infirmity, as the Bible says. We glory in the limitation because then we know Christ Christ's power rests on us. And and that biblical truth is true for every special needs family, every infant, every child with a disability, every elderly individual. Um, we just got to get out there and wrap flesh and blood around it as we embrace these people and their families into our fellowships. Some insights on exactly how to do that as our conversation continues. With us today in studio, Johnny Erickson Tata from Johnny and Friends. Information again on her work and ministry online at johnnyandfriends.org. That's johnnyandfriends.org. How do we get down to putting real flesh and bones on it and really making a significant difference? We'll talk about that next as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to the program. Again, let me share with you the website if you'd like to get more information about the ministry of Johnny and Friends and particularly what they're doing here in the San Francisco Bay Area online at johnnyandfriends.org. That's johnnyandfriends.org. Dot O-R-G. And I'll mention for some folks, it's J-O-N-I, Johnny and Friends. Dot O-R-G. Johnny Erickson Tata with us today in studio, a very special visit and getting a chance to get caught up on a number of things and also kind of a reality check, I think, for a lot of us in the church, Johnny, as we were talking just before the break, this whole bioethics question or the greater personhood question coming about. You mentioned to me off the air, as I think demonstrative of just how far out of hand some of this has gotten, that we are valuing life, personhood, less. And then you mentioned about some attempts to try and now attribute the value of the human life to animals. To animals, exactly. In fact, uh, uh, during the break, you and I were discussing this, Craig, and there are efforts uh, uh, among philosophers and uh, animal welfare experts and, uh, and some theologians even to uh, ascribe to dolphins uh, non-human personhood status. It's just crazy. <laughs> People hear that. They're no. slapping the side of the radio saying, wait a minute, did Johnny just say non-human persons, but 
That, in fact, is what they're trying to do. I guess that's the new definition. You know, you, you can make anything sound plausible. You can make anything sound pleasant and swallowable and palatable if you give it a fancy enough mm-hmm. label. Mm-hmm. And, uh, non-human persons, uh, dolphins, uh, uh, they're, they're looking for that kind of status. Now, and it's just crazy because it, it showcases to us that, that, um, that the eggs of bald eagles have more uh, protected rights than do the fertilized eggs of women. Uh, unborn children, and uh, I think we all need to understand that this is not an arena just for um, the the upper echelons of of ethical discussions. Again, this this affects our worldview. This this influences the way we we make decisions about our own uh, elderly parents who are going into nursing homes or um, whether or not we want to abort this child that's been, we've been told, has a chromosomal defect. Uh, It influences our decisions. This pervasive, I think it's a very sneaky uh, way of uh, influencing our thinking. Um, and, and it is. It's influencing our thinking and it's um, resulting in life and death decisions that impact people with disabilities. And yet at the same token, here are the human persons who, perhaps because they're facing certain disabilities and physical challenges, are oftentimes being ignored Set aside. Or labeled as non-persons. Labeled as non-persons. Let's talk about that particular, we were mentioning before the break, about the responsibility of the church to be on the front line of this entire issue. There are congregations here in the San Francisco Bay Area, as demonstrative of any region of the country, that could significantly increase the breadth and depth of their ministry if they started to think about what can we do to make what we do as a church, as a body of believers, more accessible to the growing needs of this community. Absolutely. Uh, we mentioned, I think, in the last break about just sitting on an ethics committee, just serving as an ombudsman in uh, nursing homes. Um, or when you're at the hair salon, when you're at Starbucks and you hear discussions start, you hear people begin talking about uh, uh, these issues, chime in, chip in, share your point of view. Um, it, it's, it's not a time for the church to be silent. It's a time for the church to be vocal, to be upfront, to step up to the plate and articulate a biblical worldview on what it means to be a person, um, what it means to be a human being created in the image of God, and how that view should influence the everyday decisions we make in our families. There's a lot that your ministry is doing uh, to not only help set us on the right track in terms of understanding the, the ethical arguments and how we need to present them, but then, too, educational service available through Johnny and Friends that can help a local church say, what can we do to kind of Tear down the walls and open up our ministry to make it more accessible to meeting the local needs of folks that, you know what, maybe would love to be at church every Sunday, but my church doesn't have a wheelchair ramp or something of this sort so that we can do more to really be more effective at ministering to the needs of the disabled community. And, and it can be done in such practical ways through a church, and that's why I'm so grateful that uh, that our Johnny and Friends Bay Area office is working hard with local churches to train and equip them on creative ways, solutions, uh, programs to embrace these families, uh, whether it's providing respite care, whether it's providing a retreat for these moms and dads who are, who are overburdened and stressed out and worn out and overwhelmed to a 
family retreat down in Santa Cruz. We've got all kinds of programs and and educational opportunities available for local churches here in the Bay Area. Mark Williams, who is the Bay Area director with Johnny and Friends, uh, joins us now in studio. And and Mark, delighted to see that in some respects, this ministry is is strengthening the tent stakes uh, to meet the growing needs of the disabled community here in the San Francisco Bay Area. So much so that you were mentioning to me that Family Camp, a lot of folks are familiar with down in Mission Springs, that that is already full for the year. And part of the vision here is to, again, strengthening those uh, tent stakes to open up to have additional family camps. Uh, That's correct, Craig. Family camps sold out in two weeks this year. Uh, Camp consists of about 250 people each, so that's 500 people in two weeks signed up for our camp. And we're out. We need another camp right now, and that's why Johnny's up here to help us in the Bay Area. We're going on a campaign to raise the funds to have another camp at Mission Springs, not just one in the next year, two. The role that you play with the Bay Area office, um, kind of give us a, a look as to the resources available through the ministry, both globally at the corporate offices as well as locally, to help equip the local church to do a better job at reaching this community. Having Johnny's office down at Aguero Hills behind us is like having a Christian university of information for us on disability. We have all these tools at our fingertips to bring to the churches. We want to be the head foot washers of the churches. There's no way we could hit the critical mass of the Bay Area. We're only four people in our office of Johnny and Friends, and this is the way we're going to go at it, by teaching and training all the churches to bring these people across the threshold. Because, Craig, when they're rejected at their church at the threshold, they feel like they're rejected by God himself. And that's a key point, isn't it, Johnny, to understand that we're, we're really missing a huge opportunity here. Uh, if we don't take the time to get educated and to understand the simple things that can be done. And, and I guess that's the other message here, too. A lot of folks say, oh, my goodness, this is going to be too involved and complex. How can we possibly take on the additional burden of now ministering or meeting the spiritual needs of disabled members of our local community? But, in fact, it's a lot easier than most people perceive. It really is. It's it's just extending that hand of welcome to that single mother who's bringing a child with autism into the congregation, uh, a mother who has been uh, rejected by other churches saying, we have no programs for your son. You need to go somewhere else where a church is better equipped. Well, we want to equip that church who uh, might feel strongly about rejecting that mom with that little boy. Um, Autism is on the rise. Uh, One in every 109 births now uh, are diagnosed with with autism. And that is incredibly skyrocketing statistic. And and our Sunday schools and our Christian ed directors and our churches need to know how to embrace these children. What do you do in a Sunday school classroom when a boy with autism has a meltdown or goes ballistic? Uh, How do you you adjust for that? How do you uh, help the the other children understand the, the difference that this child has and uh, and his disability. And, and we're equipped at the Bay Area to help address these questions, to provide training for Christian ed directors, pastors, Sunday school teachers, so that um, children with autism especially can be embraced in a church. That's just one disability, but it's one of the most common disabilities now. Almost every cul-de-sac in America has a family somehow impacted with autism. If you've just joined our conversation today, a visit in studio with Johnny Erickson Tata, of course, from Johnny and Friends, and also Mark Williams with us, Bay Area Director of the Bay Area Office of Johnny and Friends. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of our conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. 
Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.